wonder-working stars in the precious... Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. <laughs> You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. I guess I should start by describing the painting. I think you'd call it Impressionist? Dutch Impressionist? Or maybe it's not Dutch, but I feel like when you hear the word Impressionist, you almost always hear the word Dutch in front of it, you know? <laughs> but, uh, anyway. It was of this villa in the countryside. You saw a bit of a road in the foreground, and then a path that led down to the house. There was a garden along that path leading down, and beyond the property you could see a glimpse of the ocean, or the sea, or lake, or whatever body of water it might have been. The house itself peeked out from behind the trees in the garden, and you could make out the stone walls, a bit of the roof, two chimneys, and two windows, one with the curtains drawn, and one with them open. I could probably paint the thing myself from memory if you gave me the canvas and a brush. That's how much... I stared at it over the years, stared at it from the other end of the dining room table. That's where it hung, you see, the south wall of the dining room. Not much else to do but stare while I ate at that table. I, uh, I never used to like eating at the table back when my folks were around. Preferred to eat in the living room or upstairs. Dad never liked that. It's strange that when he was gone, that's when I finally started eating where he wanted me to eat. But I guess it's... Really not that strange at all. reason I didn't want to eat at the table is because I didn't want to eat with the family, mom and dad, in the first place. I didn't hate them or anything, just stupid teenager stuff, you know? But like I said, uh, dad's gone now, and mom... Well, for most of that time, mom couldn't even feed herself, let alone hold a conversation at the dinner table. Miracle she'd survive that car crash at all, really. They slid off the road on a rainy night and drove straight into a tree. Dad was killed instantly. Mom was a vegetable. Nothing they could do. Like I said, miracle she was even alive. Even bigger miracle that she stayed alive. Hours. That's what the doctors gave her. That's how bad her condition was. But, uh, somehow she pulled through that first night. Then the next day, and the following... The months and the years. Despite what any of the doctors said, she stayed alive. But she didn't stop being a vegetable. No. Her life carried on, and mine kind of ended right then, age of 19, after that crash. Seems like it's in poor taste to say, but it's true. Taking care of somebody in that state is a full-time job, and nobody else was applying for it. 
Sure, there was some other family who talked big about helping out. Very vocal about that, and about how Mom wouldn't want her plugs being pulled. Not the kind of person she was, they said. I don't think she really had an opinion, personally. She was a bit too preoccupied with life to be thinking about death, or an unlife. And if she did think about it, she didn't tell me. Before the accident, we talked about school and the future and me eventually moving out. It didn't seem to cross her mind that she would... That I would... Well, anyway, she wasn't any kind of person anymore. And as for that same family... Well, they'd send cards. But I took care of her. I didn't really have much of a choice. We certainly weren't in poverty when I was growing up, but we weren't that well off either. We kind of just rode that line at the bottom of the middle class. So certain bits of assistance were available to help me and Mom, but it wasn't much. Definitely not enough to have a caretaker, even one just to come by a few days a week. Just a modest check once a month. So I fed her, bathed her, did all the uh, necessary medical things. Made it real hard to hold down a job. I, I tried the whole online thing for a while. Y you know, surveys, writing listicles, that sort of thing. But I feel like it takes a certain type of person to actually make money doing that. Like, I just can't really work without some kind of oversight or just other people around at all. And besides, college dropout, barely any practical experience. My work skills aren't exactly up to snuff. So it was tough. Really tough. And friends? Or relationships? Forget it. No going out to the movies with somebody, or dinner, or, or fancy coffees. Just three meals a day. Just three bowls of oatmeal, or cans of tuna, or cup noodles at that table. Staring at that painting. I don't even know where it came from, you know? It was that kind of painting. One that bordered on the line of professional and amateur. That could have easily been a smaller copy of something in a museum as something a retiree recreated from a vacation photograph. It was probably cheap or free, I know that much from the fact that it was in our house. And it had always been there as long as I could remember. I never paid attention to it before all this. But I knew it had always been there. Have you ever stared at a painting for a long, long time? Or anything really, but I guess we're talking about a painting here. A few years back, I had this temp job that I did manage to hold down for a few months. Occasional data entry kind of thing. There was a painting of an orchid across from my little desk. Like, clearly an orchid, not overly abstract or anything. But, after one day, just one day of staring at it, it already began to morph before my eyes as my brain got tired and recontextualized the shapes and colors. It turned from an orchid into a goofy, Sesame Street kind of monster, then into this beautiful fey goddess, and by the end of the day it was an atomic explosion. That's just one day. So, staring at this villa... Every day, well, you could imagine the kinds of tricks my mind started playing on me. Or at least, that I thought it was playing on me. Mostly subtle things for a longer time. It's a bit harder to recontextualize a square house as an atomic explosion. I'd let the colors blend. 
Imagine the trees blowing in the wind and the water moving with the tide. Simple stuff like that. It was only about four months ago that the, um, the strangeness began. Like I said before, the villa had two windows that were visible in the painting. One with the curtains drawn, and one with them open. Nothing in that second window, always just the open curtains and the dark space between them. But one day, it was so subtle, the kind of thing that only I would notice. I sat at the table for lunch that day, head down, ready to eat my bowl of microwaved soup. But when I looked up, my eyes shot fully open. There was a hand on the right curtain. Well, not a real hand, but the semblance of one. On the curtain, which had cloth that was sort of a yellow washed with orange, there was a circular blotch and five thin lines coming out from it, the color of pale skin. A hand resting on the curtain as if someone were standing behind it, out of sight, and had wrapped their hand around to enter the image shown within the frame. <laughs> of course, I could articulate it that way now, but I really had no idea what I was seeing at the time. I could see that the color, the pigment, had changed, and, and I thought that maybe it kind of looked like a hand, but paintings can fade, and colors change in the open air with the dust and the humidity. I was surprised for a few seconds, a bit of change in my shit, static life, but I calmed down and went back to my soup. But it was harder to stay calm the next day. A hand of color was now a whole arm. Undeniably an arm wrapped, I want to say demurely, around the curtain. Pale skin and a stretch of green sleeve. What was going on? Why was it there? How was it there? What the fuck was going on? Those are the questions I should have been asking myself. But I wasn't. And when I say I wasn't calm, I don't mean I was panicked either. I feel now, and I know I should have felt at the time, unease. But I didn't. Just a morbid interest in what was happening. A small chipping away at the dense numbness inside myself. So instead of asking myself those questions, I thought to myself, all right, let's see what happens next. <laughs> she appeared in full soon enough, after a few more days of making her way out from behind the curtain and into the window frame, standing in the window and looking out into our world. She didn't really have a face, really just hues that suggested one, but I could tell she was looking out. And even then, without features, I could also tell that she was beautiful, slender with dark hair tied back, and a conservative dress of cream and earthy greens. Looking at her, and feeling her look at me, I felt such a sense of comfort and warmth, like everything would be all right, even though nothing had been all right for years. That sense lingered with me in the room and throughout the house, carrying me through the day. That whole week, or was it a month? 
I, I guess you know better than I do. The, the time is all a bit of a haze to me. The only thing I remember clearly is taking care of Mom. I definitely remember that. I remember feeling angry about it. The injustice of it all. This crushing weight that had been put on my shoulders when I was a kid and then just left there. The fact that my whole life was taking care of her. Had I always felt that way about my situation? Now, I don't remember that either. There was this idea forming in my head, a particular phrasing of an idea, that I took care of her and that there was nobody to take care of me. But what I can't remember is whether that idea was being put there or if it had always been there in the back of my head, burning and gnawing away and was now being slowly pulled out into the forefront of my thoughts. And I don't know when it was, the date or the time of day, but I remember sitting at that table and thinking, I bet the woman in the painting would take care of me. She was beautiful, she must be kind too, I thought. In the days that had passed, her arms had become outstretched, welcoming, beckoning. Life must be easy in the villa, I thought. A big house, a beautiful garden, the sea, and her. I wanted to go so badly. I couldn't sleep, thinking about it, thrashing in my bed in panicked fits. I was seething as I skulked around the house looking after Mom. The very sight of her began to sicken me. And then one night I couldn't take it anymore. It all became too much. The vacant non-look on her face, the lifeless plopping sound as I put her down to bed, the stink of her atrophy that I couldn't get rid of no matter how long and how thoroughly I bathed her. I ran down to the dining room, fell to my knees in front of that painting, and started weeping. Please let me go there. Please let me leave. And then I did. I don't know how. There was no light or sound or feeling of change. But somehow, at some point that I could not determine, the world had become different. The wood and glass and metal and porcelain of the dining room were all gone and had been replaced with color. Not things, but pigment arranged into shapes. Not a stone path leading into a garden, but a strip of gray that crossed into a field of many grass-green blades. Off in the distance there was blue in the shape of the sea, a purple and yellow sky above me, clay brown formed into a house, and her standing in the doorway to that house. She was as she was in the painting. When I was looking in, cream and earthy green and pale skin, just as if someone had taken the image of her there and simply scaled her to the size of a real person. Still no face, but still so beautiful. She didn't speak, she never spoke, but I understood her every intent and action. She beckoned me into the house, and I followed. So, so glad. Ah, uh, from there things get even hazier, if that's possible. I remember a kitchen, again, just shapes and colors, but a kitchen nonetheless, 
meals being cooked for me. For me. A soft bed, a warm bath, clean clothes. I was being taken care of. She loved me, and I loved her, but, but there was nothing romantic or sexual about that love. She was a caretaker. It was entirely platonic, maternal. It's the happiest I've ever been. When you're a kid, you know, after you're up on your own two feet and all that, you, you want to be independent. You want to run off on your own. Even more so when you're a teen, you just want to do your own thing, and that carries on into being an adult. You forget what it's like to be taken care of. How nice it is to be taken care of. At least, sometimes. Even just simple things. You know what I mean? Somebody who will bring you soup when you're sick. Someone to clean your house and do your laundry. If you can afford it. <laughs> Someone to take all that weight off your shoulders and let you just breathe. But that's not life for most of us. Not all the time, at least. Not at all for some. And as time passed on in that pigment world, that thought began to nag more and more in my mind. It became more apparent to me, and the warmth and haze around my mind began to lift as I realized that I was slowly wasting away. The food that I was eating wasn't feeding me. The baths that I took weren't cleaning me, and I began to stink. Reality it seemed, was bleeding in and breaking through that fogginess. I began to realize that what was happening wasn't right, that it wasn't my life. And I thought of my mother, my actual mother, who took care of me when I was a kid. She needed me now, and I wasn't there. I hadn't been there for a long time, and I didn't even know how long. So that's what I told her. She was upset. I could tell words or no, from that blank face that spoke nothing and said everything. You should stay, she said, without saying. No, I can't, I said. Stay just a bit longer, she said. I've already been here so long, I said. Just one more night, she said. I was so weak by then. And I knew that everything in that place was wrong. But I couldn't say no. It's just awful. This world, I mean. Surely one more night couldn't have hurt before returning to my hateful life. And so I nodded to her and lived one more happy day of that fantasy before drifting off to sleep. I don't know why, but I woke up in the middle of the night... The moon was shining outside the bedroom window and illuminating the space. There was no light in this world, you see, but there was still light. Beams of white and yellow, or silver from the moon at nighttime, that shone over everything, translucent so as not to cover things, but just to brighten. She was sitting in a chair across the room, watching me. That might sound unsettling to you, but... I'd grown used to her watching me while I slept. It was even pleasant. But this time, there was no such warm feeling. In one of those silver beams, I could see that she was 
holding something. It was a knife. Not pigment. A real knife. And lining it, dripping onto the floor, was a color I hadn't seen in a long time. I hadn't really noticed its absence from this world until then. This was a world of browns, creams, greens, blues, purples, and yellows. And what I was seeing was a deep scarlet drip dripping onto the floor. There, she said, now you can stay. Now there's no need for you to go back and you can stay with me. I ran. I, I don't know how I made it back here, no more than how I left in the first place, but I was back in the dining room. I shouldn't even have been able to stand. I was so weak and racked with body aches, but I bolted upstairs to my mother's room. She was dead. Her throat sliced open. And when I came back to the dining room, silently drifting there in my shocked stupor, she was still there, standing in that same window and looking out. Once more, her arms open wide. And I almost went back. Even with the disgust I felt in my gut and my heart, I wanted to go back to that good, easy place. I still feel that way. So I removed the option. I did the only thing I could think to in that moment and burnt the whole thing down. The house, the painting, all of it. <laughs> and you know the rest from there, I think. I can't prove any of what I'm saying, of course, so naturally the courts look to put everything on me. They got the fire under control before the second story was destroyed, so Mom's body was still relatively intact. She'd been starved and unmedicated for a week, they said, that I must have been using the government checks to buy drugs. I mean, I, I couldn't produce the checks to prove otherwise, because obviously they'd been burned in the fire. I'd certainly looked the part when the police came, half-starved to death myself and in hysterics. I must have killed her and then tried to burn the house down in a manic stupor, they said. The public defender got me an insanity plea, but it's it's just not right. It's not right, you know? I, I'm not crazy. You can see that. But nobody will take my case. You're, you're the fifth person I've talked to. Is it really that unbelievable? I know what I said about comfort and freedom, but is it wrong to think that? I couldn't really do it. Could I be so selfish? The third season of The Wrong Station ends this August the 18th, and you can help make our next season even bigger by supporting us on Patreon. There are great benefits right now for as low as $1 a month, and lots of exciting extra content planned for the near future. This week's episode, Into Pigment, was written and performed by Anthony Botello. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Ilan Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmid. You can subscribe to The Wrong Station on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and any other of your favorite podcast services. 
You can follow The Wrong Station on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. You can also follow The Wrong Station creative team on Twitter at AEW Saxton, AJV Batello, and Jacob BRDS. And until next time, thank you for listening.